Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Thursday, July 16th. Retail sales are up, 30-year mortgage rates are down to record lows, and we're focused on the NBA's bubble experiment. In two weeks from today, the National Basketball Association is scheduled to resume the season that it abruptly suspended back in March. 22 of the league's 30 teams are participating with a series of so-called seeding games to be followed by the playoffs. The championship, which is destined to be marked with an asterisk, is supposed to be ended by early October. But the real question isn't who gets the rings. It's if the NBA can make it to October without having to shut everything down. To some extent, this is obviously a sports story, but it's also being closely watched by all sorts of American businesses that are trying to reopen. The NBA is conducting its restart inside of a so-called bubble within Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. No fans, no outside guests, plenty of doctors and rapid COVID testing. If the NBA can pull it off, then we all get something fun to watch on TV and the league gets to recoup some lost revenue. But if it fails, if players or staff somehow get infected despite the bubble, then it raises huge questions for every other large business about their ability to reopen safely outside of a bubble. The NBA is, in short, the best case, test case. To get a better understanding of what the NBA is doing, we are joined now by the Washington Post's Ben Golliver, who is one of the 10 NBA beat reporters currently living inside the Disney bubble. Just set the scene. Where are you right now, and what's your day-to-day been like inside the bubble so far? Well, I arrived to Orlando, Florida on Sunday. Upon check-in, they gave me a magic band like you would typically get if you go to Disney World to check into your hotel room. And they gave me a green wristband. And that green wristband says, you're not allowed to go anywhere because you have to enter a seven-day in-room hotel quarantine. So I'm inside of a, a typical Disney hotel room. I've got two beds. I've got hot water. I've got a nice desk, a flat screen TV. But I'm not allowed to leave for any reason until I pass seven days worth of coronavirus tests. So every afternoon they come by, they take a swab from my nose, they take a swab from my throat. So far, I'm four for four. Once I pass three more tests, they will cut me loose into the rest of the NBA's protected bubble where the players and the coaches and the executives are currently. Is your experience, is this what players and executives and team staff had to go through earlier several weeks ago? Is it similar? It's very similar. Ours is a little bit more extensive, and here's why. The players underwent testing before they came to Florida, and they traveled private on charter flights to get to Florida. Obviously, I was not tested at all prior to coming down here, other than an antibody test through my uh, primary care doctor just for my normal physical. So that's why we've got the seven-day quarantine. The players actually only had to go through a 48-hour quarantine. However, if they break the rules, and that could be leaving your room during the quarantine, That could be trying to illicitly get some Postmates delivery orders. At that point, they are sent back into their rooms for a 10-day quarantine period. So these are very strict rules, but everyone has the same basic ideas. You don't get to come into the bubble until you've been cleared. Let me ask about the breaking the rules piece. I guess the NBA, for example, has set up an anonymous tip line in the bubble to report if someone isn't respecting the rules or broke the rules. How hard would it be for a player? Getting Postmates to the hotel seems a little hard. But how hard would it be for a player to sneak out and go down the street to do whatever? It's a little bit tricky for me to ask that question just because I haven't had a chance to explore myself. This is a huge and sprawling campus. I imagine they've got video surveillance and there's different layers of security here. No question about it. 
it's somewhat of an on your honor system. But I do think it's important to keep in mind, like Florida's coronavirus situation has gotten so dire. I mean, even here in Orange County, that to me, that's a lot of good motivation to stay on the campus, to not leave because you don't want to put yourself at risk necessarily. But, you know, these players, as some of them have told me in the past, they're kind of used to trying to bend the rules, whether it's curfews when they're in college and Obviously, they're used to having, you know, millions of dollars and access to all sorts of different comforts. There has been an adjustment period to being in smaller hotel rooms, less luxurious hotel rooms, probably not the finest meals that they're usually accustomed to. In terms of that informant line that you're mentioning, as somebody who's going to be living in the bubble, I'm actually like really in favor of that because this entire plan is only as good as the weakest link, right? If one guy wants to break the rule, he potentially exposes everybody within the bubble that we could all be in danger. How confident do you think players, executives, the league is that not only are they going to be able to start in two weeks, but they're actually going to be able to get the full thing done, the quote, the seating part, the playoffs and actually have a championship and have this all happen without a massive stoppage or just an overall stoppage? Well, I would say there's definitely rising confidence. If you rewind a month ago, there was a lot of concerns from the players. They were concerned about the coronavirus health situation. They were concerned about distracting from social justice protests. They didn't want the games to distract from the response to George Floyd's death in police custody. They're also concerned about quality of life issues, being away from their families, mental health, not being able to have the comforts of their home. All these things really concern players. What I've noticed you know, since we've been here over the last week, it's kind of like people going to summer camp or a study abroad. You're all stressed out before you go, but once you're into it, it's like, well, time to make the most of this situation. And I think the players are starting to do that. And that comfort level is key to them being able to stay on track and to want to continue forward. Now, in terms of the bubble itself, I've been really impressed by the health checks that they've got us going through. Even as a lowly newspaper reporter, every morning I wake up, I give them a questionnaire. Do I have any symptoms of coronavirus? I give them a pulse reading. I give them a temperature reading. I get the results of my coronavirus test within 15 hours uploaded to a website that I can review sort of at my comfort. And then I also have access 24 hours a day to medical professionals. If I have a concern, whether it's mental health, physical health, whatever it might be, there are resources for me to take those concerns. Again, I think that creates a more stable environment. And if you compare it to some of the other professional sports out there, this is just more logical and process-based. Is there going to be peer pressure on players from their teammates to remain in the bubble? And I don't mean like breaking out and trying to sneak out to go get something down the street, but more You know, you see Zion Williamson leave the bubble today, which means he's going to be in this kind of quarantine situation whenever he gets back. Whether a player wants to leave for a family reason or something else, is that going to create tensions within teams? For sure. Well, so here's the thing. There's already been kind of a culling process. A whole bunch of players have already opted out of playing down here or they tested positive and just decided they didn't want to come down. So there are a lot of people who had hesitations who just never made the trip in the first place. It also really depends on how good your team is, right? If you are a contending team, there's a lot of peer pressure because you have a title on the line. You said there's a title on the line. Are the players and the teams truly viewing this as a traditional title and that if the Lakers win or the Bucks win, that that banner is going to be the equivalent of all the other banners that NBA teams have won before? Or is there not an acknowledgement there's going to be a giant asterisk next to this one, no matter who gets it? You know, they're trying to spin that asterisk talk into saying, hey, it's a gold star because it's so much harder and it's a mental challenge being down here. I don't know if you want to buy that or not, but I'll say this. These guys are competitive as heck, and they are giving up a lot to come down here. And I think that they're going to settle in after a month and say, like, look, you know, if we're down here, if we have to be going through all this and eating this Disney food and everything else, we might as well win this thing. I think by the end of it, we could see really, really competitive games. 
where the ego, where the desire to be the best player, those kinds of things come out. And all of a sudden, it's like this dream basketball environment. That's sort of what I'm hoping for. Obviously, the environment you're in is artificial, intentionally artificial. Is there anything you think that businesses, companies, non-NBA can take from what the NBA is doing? Obviously, they can't quarantine all their employees and put them up in nice hotels inside of Disney World. But is there anything from what you've seen so far that you think other companies in, quote, the real world could take from this as they try to move forward? Well, I would say this. I was safe and conservative when it came to dealing with the coronavirus before I got here. I was having all my groceries delivered. I was only leaving my apartment for daily exercise. I was taking non-essential trips. I mean, I was locked down as tight as I could be. And yet I was still just kind of stressed and anxious about the virus because it's fear of the unknown, right? And I think the most important thing to take away is like, if you have a rigorous testing program where you're tracking people's symptoms and you're able to give them tests that come back quickly, like the NBA has done here, it really puts your mind at ease. And so if companies are saying, we want our employees come back in the office, right? And maybe we're going to start with 50% capacity and then go to 100% capacity, say after three months, something along those lines. I think getting employees to buy in and feel safe, having good testing opportunities available is the best way to do it. I think that the NBA has shown like you don't have to hold yourself the same standard as what the government's doing. You can kind of go out and do your own thing. If you're willing to invest the money, it could potentially pay off for you as a company. Ben Golliver, the Washington Post National NBA writer. He also hosts the Open Floor and Goat podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you get out of that room soon. My pleasure. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Georgia, where a showdown over masks is developing between Republican Governor Brian Kemp and several of the state's Democratic mayors, including Atlanta's Keisha Lance Bottoms and Savannah's Van Johnson. The basic story is that 15 local governments recently ordered people to wear face masks in public places to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Then today, Governor Kemp overruled those orders, saying not only that mask use must be voluntary, but also that local governments can't even mandate that people wear masks inside of their own buildings, like City Hall. This comes as Georgia's caseload is on the rise, with 118,000 cases confirmed in the state to date. And speaking of masks, Target and CVS today became the latest retailers to mandate their use inside of their stores. Today, we're also watching continued fallout from yesterday's massive Twitter hack, which has raised all sorts of questions about the platform's security and what sorts of user information might have been exposed. The latest is that the FBI is now heading up the investigation and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is pledging to release any new information that the company itself is able to discover beyond what it's already said about hackers basically spearfishing some employees who had access to internal tools. And just in case you're wondering, President Trump does plan to continue using Twitter, according to a White House press conference earlier this afternoon. And finally, speaking of big tech, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows today said that action against TikTok could be coming within weeks, not months. As for what those actions will be, such as an actual ban on the app, well, we'll find out in a few weeks. But for today, we are done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national corn fritters day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.